Welcome to the Go Loco podcast, entertainment and lifestyle offerings from the Loudon Times Mirror. Welcome. Happy Friday. Happy October. Happy fall. It is the Go Loco podcast where we feature lifestyle and entertainment offerings in this great county of ours, Loudoun County. I am the Times Mirror editor, Trevor Baratko, joined by uh, our Go Loco czar, John Battiston. Mr. Battiston, what is the word? Well, Trevor, the word is October, baby. All right, that's two words, but we are officially in my favorite month of the year, and we have a lot of great festivities and points of interest uh, going on around the county to usher in the height of the fall season. We're talking about harvest festivals, we're talking pumpkin patches, and of course, we are talking Shocktober, although that beloved annual haunted house from the Ark of Loudoun is going to look a little different this year. So coming up, I'm going to be talking with ARC CEO Lisa Kimball, as well as a local author whose debut memoir, Can You See My Scars, ought to make for an inspirational autumn read. Speaking of October, Trevor, nice. how about you tell like us it. a little bit about your guests for this episode's wine time? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, first, John, I didn't did not realize you were such a fall guy. Mm-hmm. Tell me, have you read Decorative Gourd Season on McSweeney? I have not. I've not even heard of this bit of literature. Oh, it's, it's, it is a gem. It is a special piece of writing. Uh, I pretty much see it as my life's calling to ensure that uh, no one makes their way through this life without reading it. Uh, so you can, you can thank me later. It is, it's, it's kind of a rite of, it's a rite of passage for, for when fall arrives. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, if it sounds like, if it is what it sounds like, which is a uh, instructional on how to embellish your stoop and other parts of your home with uh, some lovely decorative gores, I'm sure I'll benefit. But if not, I bet I'm in for uh, a surprise. I mean, there, there's a touch of that. There's a touch of that. It gets a little vulgar, so we'll we'll issue oh. a parental advisory here. All right. Uh, but but you know, it, it's go loco. This is an entertainment podcast and. Uh, Decorative gourd season is nothing if not entertaining. All right, bringing bringing things back on track here. Uh, For wine time, we have Bob and Lori Rupi of October One Vineyards. Bob and Lori, they are, uh, they're veterans and they're well known of in the local wine game. I should say they're veterans in the local wine game. Uh, They're at Bluemont Vineyards before branching out and creating their own boutique label, uh, October One Vineyards, along with winemaker Nate Walsh of Walsh Family Wine. Uh, so we are going to chat with them and see what they've been up to and uh, just just inform our local wine drinkers uh, about their offerings. Uh, John, any, anything else we got? Well, as usual, I'm going to take my 60 seconds toward the end of this episode to talk a little bit about local movie offerings, particularly the long-awaited Middleburg Film Festival announced a few pieces off of their upcoming slate, I believe, this past weekend. It looks like they've got some festival season darlings from Telluride and Toronto and some other recent festivals that I'm very excited to watch, even if this year it's going to be from the comfort of our own homes. And then finally, I'm going to run through six must-do activities around the county this month as compiled by everyone's favorite community editor, Karen Graham. Nice. Looking forward to that. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, I say let's get going on this thing. And here we are. 
September 1st of this year was doubly significant for author Samuel Morso Bell. It marked the publication of his debut book, Can You See My Scars?, as well as the 11th anniversary of the horrifying accident that inspired it. The book follows Morso Bell's journey of healing and acceptance after suffering near-fatal burns from a chemical explosion. He began our conversation by recounting that event. I was a week away from my sophomore year of high school. It was September 1st of 2009, so 11 years ago now. And there was somebody who lived a couple blocks away who hired me for a day to move boxes and furniture and things out of their garage. So I, I was just trying to fit in one last odd job before the end of the summer, before I started school in a week week's time. Once I got to the to the site, which was his house, you know, things started to change and I kind of chalked it up to at the time kind of, you know, coincidences of maybe I, I'm just not understanding what what the original plan was, but you know, he tells us, oh we're we're gonna go to a storage unit and empty the storage unit of things and then bring it back to his house and then, you know, sift through some of the, the items and, and decide what to keep and whatnot. So anyway, we, as we're, as we're doing that, um, he says, Oh, whatever we, we don't end up, whatever he doesn't want to put back in his house, he's going to take to a friend's house. The job had only supposed to be about four hours and it was supposed to be over by one. It's not two thirty, And so the man says, Oh, my friend's house, it's, it's just five or 10 minutes down the road. Well, it turns out to be 45 minutes down the road. We actually uh, exit Loudoun County to, to get there across county lines. And um, th- we meet this woman who's his friend. She opens the shed door and it's just filled to the brim with stuff, right? It's just boxes and just all, all this stuff that's in there. And so she says, she tells, you know, says that we have to get everything out of there before we can get this, this guy stuff in there who had hired us for this job. A box ends up in my hands and she's telling us to just toss everything. There's a cement slab that's nearby. So I toss this box and the second it hits the, the slab, you know, there's an explosion and, I, and everyone can hear it. And, you know, I see this substance come flying towards me. And, uh, you know, within a second or two, I feel this substance hit me and then the pain began and Mm. it just felt like somebody had taken a lighter or a match and just dropped it on my face, you know, writhing in pain and feeling and wondering whether I was going to make it. I mean, it just felt like maybe this was going to be the end of my life. And then from there, that's when the, you know, they're trying to figure out how to care for me. I ended up actually getting medevac to Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C. And that's where I'm treated for the remainder of my time in the hospital. And how long did that uh, time in the hospital last? So it was only about, it was less than 24 hours. They, by the time they got me there uh, from the medevac, they, they pulled me into the to the room. Um, eventually, you know, my family friends come, my parents come. Um, and I remember them saying, you know, we're going to try to get you in for surgery. Uh, they ended up doing a debridement surgery, which is, you know, scraping off uh, the uh, area. That basically, they're just trying to scrape off as much of the scarring as they can to prevent infection. So... Uh, that happened the next morning. They didn't get me in in time for the night. They got me in in the morning. And then after that, they, they had a little bit more success on, on the right side of my face than the left side of my face. Uh, they, they released me and that they said there wasn't anything else they could do for me that, you know, I just had to heal on my own and, and the rest was up to me. And so we, you know, I remember that drive back from the hospital and just thinking, you know, what's going to happen from here? Uh, I, I felt so underprepared for what, what was going to happen next. And, and so, yeah, that, that started that journey of, you know, I, I was on homebound tutoring. I didn't go back to school like everybody else did the week, you know, after the, the first week back to school uh, and kind of started the journey from there. Once you did end up going back to school uh, in person rather than doing homebound tutoring, high school is not exactly the kindest environment for a young man. And so what was uh, that return like for you? 
you know, it's interesting because I, I felt like I, I was prepared for far worse in some ways. I thought, you know, maybe I'd get bullied or, you know, I know I looked really different. Uh, but I, I, that didn't really happen. What really happened more was just people just kind of, I, I felt the kind of the withdrawal. Like people just didn't know what to say to me. They didn't know how to interact with me anymore. And so a lot of people just kind of avoided talking to me or, you know, just kind of, there was a lot of distance. And, and people were nice, but it was still just very, like, I, I could tell I'd become kind of a, pariah in the, in the school. They, they just didn't know what to do. And I, I you know, I, I felt that burden of, you know, having to always be on guard. You know, people would ask questions everywhere I went, but what's that on your face or why do you look that way? And I was always having to be ready with an answer for what that was. And, and it was hard. It took me a long time to kind of come up with an answer that both acknowledged what I'd gone through, but also, you know, kind of shut down the conversation, depending on whether I wanted to talk about it more or not. You know, looking at your headshot, uh, you know, if someone were to tell me, oh, yeah, this guy had major scarring on his face and neck and chest for a long time, I wouldn't have believed it. It looks like there's been a lot of really successful reconstruction. How long, uh, you know, how long was that process of surgery after surgery for you? There's still some scarring there, but it's definitely not what it once was. And I think I get away with with not having it be so uh, present in people's minds, although I do, I still do get questions. But every once in a while, but yet I, it took. You know, when I had all the surgeries up, it was it was more than a dozen surgeries and operations where you know I had a couple, uh, re, a handful of reconstructive surgeries where they were going in and trying to do some skin grafting. They I had a surgery where they took skin graft from the back of my ear and they put it on my under my nose, and then they uh, that actually didn't work, so they had to go back in and redo that a year or two uh, later when they were reconstructive. Then they I had a bunch of laser operations where they take a laser and they would you know, uh, try to, the goal was to break up the, uh, scarring so that it looked, uh, to, to kind of fraxel it out so that to dull some of the redness and also kind of make it not as dense so that it wasn't as noticeable. And those were really painful because you don't go under for those. So I, I was, you know, no anesthesia and they would just come up with a laser and it was, it was like getting, you know, it kind of feels like getting what I would imagine being electrocuted was right. It, it's just kind of getting a zap or a shock to your, system as they're going through and, and lasering um, and they also did there was some steroid injections they did rounds of steroid injections to try to again kind of break up the scarring uh, but yeah it was it was a long journey I mean I just had my final surgery was only a couple years ago I mean it was it was mm-hmm. I was still dealing with this up until uh, and I still could be and I, I chose not to there was a few more things my doctor offered and said hey you know, this, we could do a few more things, but he said, you know, I know my, my burn patients uh, get tired of getting carved up. And so, you know, the choice is yours. And, you know, for now, I, I've kind of put a hold on it because it was just, it was such a, going through that experience, it's hitting the same points that were, you know, hit from the accident that were affected by the accident. And so it's just this emotional quagmire and it's physically painful, but it's just the combination was, was so hard to keep doing over and over again. So what did the path to acceptance of that misfortune and of the accident uh, look like for you? How, did, how, how were you helped through that? Uh, to, to kind of not only come to peace with my scars and what, what I now looked like, but also how I felt and how the emotional struggles that I, I went through. What, what helped me was it was a couple of different things. I think it was a combination of one, my, my family, my, my parents and my brother and sister. I'm the oldest of, of three, so I have a younger brother and younger sister. You know, they, the four of us, you know, a lot of people had drifted away, but they were there for me every step of the way. You know, my mom was at every doctor's appointment. My dad tried to be at most of them, too. They were there at every surgery. They, they were very supportive and made sure that, you know, I felt loved even in the midst of what was happening. Uh, and then, too, I, you know, I, I did 
ended up going to uh, counseling and spent a lot of years in counseling and, and write about that openly in the book of, you know, really wading through those experiences and, and trying to make sense of not only what happened to me, but then what I was going to do with this story, how I was going to move forward and forgive the, forgive the people that had allowed this to happen uh, and then move forward and, and uh, you know, really move in a, in a way that this could impact others. And so I spent a lot of time, I did EMDR therapy, uh, which is something that people with uh, symptoms of PTSD uh, you know, typically undergo. So I, I was diagnosed with symptoms of PTSD and depression and, you know, spent a lot of time really going along that journey of working through those those emotions and those feelings. And then finally, you know, getting to that place where I did, you know, come to peace with how I looked and then, you know, was able to forgive and, and then, you know, use this story to impact and inspire others. If there's one thing that you would like readers or uh, people listening to your story to take away from your experience with your accident and the aftermath, uh, what do you think that would be? I've come to believe that we all have scars. You know, some may not be as uh, visible as mine were and are, uh, but but there's there's scars that are visible. There's scars that are invisible that are in inside us. And you know, I found in my experience that sometimes those scars were that were invisible were even more impactful than the ones that weren't. And so, you know, I, I think that. The thing I would want readers to take away from this story is that you too can overcome. You you too can overcome your scars and any adversity that you face. You know we're living in the midst of this time in the pandemic where there's a lot of hopelessness. And so you know if anything, I hope that this book gives readers hope that they can uh, you know relate to my story and see themselves in it, but that they can walk away from it feeling emboldened to combat and and any adversity in their life and that they would do the work to be able to come to peace with their scars so that they too can share their story and make a difference in the lives of others. You can find more information about Samuel Morso Bell and Can You See My Scars at samuelmorsobell.com. That's Samuel, M-O-O-R-E dash S-O-B-E-L dot com. Hey, hey. It's Wine Time with Trevor, where we highlight the personalities and places of Loudoun wine country. Timely fashion, we are chatting today, October 2nd, with Bob and Lori Rupi of October One Vineyards, a boutique local winery that sells its offerings at local farmers markets and to nearby restaurants. The wines are crafted by winemaker Nate Walsh of Walsh Family Wine. Here's what uh, Bob and Lori, who celebrated their anniversary on October 1st, hence the name, happy anniversary, Bob and Lori. Uh, Here's what they had to say about their small single vineyard operation. The October one still seems so new to me and I'm guessing maybe it still seems so new to you guys, uh, but it's not, it's almost like not all that new anymore. But, but tell us about it and tell us the genesis of, of October 1. Well, I guess I'll start with us like, you know, diving into the wine business back in 2006, right? So it has its roots there, I'd say. And as we, you know, gained momentum in that initial dive, you know, we started to plant grapes. We found a site, we looked for a vineyard site where we actually wanted to plant a vineyard and utilize for premium wine grape growing. And, um, and that became that site we found in Bluemont in 2012. And when we came up with a name for it, it ended up being our anniversary date. 
October 1. Yeah, at that time, there was a shortage, and there still is, of grapes in Loudoun County. People were unable to make enough wine to uh, get to demand, and so they were going out of state and sometimes to California or at least out of the county, and I think that's one of the reasons why we decided to go ahead and plant, because it's like, dang, there's a demand when there's a demand, then why don't we try and get in on that? So We thought a lot about the experience that we wanted to present through October 1, and we really wanted to put front and center the vineyard, the, the farming of it, the wine growing of it, um, as sort of the, the primary message that we wanted to talk about. So, you know, definitely want to talk about our wines in the context of the vineyard and the farming and mother nature and the people that are doing all the work to create it. And, you know, we came to realize that we weren't going to do a traditional wine experience. Um, you know, our site was not conducive for, you know, bringing people out to the farm. So we're in the process every day of bringing the farm to the people. We have what we call a wines without walls strategy. So we sell most of our wine through farm markets locally. Whereas, you know, traditionally you would expect to have the tasting room and people to come and visit and you would do all kinds of experience um, driven activities there. We're more about getting out and about in the county, meeting people, talking to them about what's happening in Loudoun, what's happening in Virginia and the wine scene and telling them about how we do it. The, the, where you put the grapes and how you tend the grapes and what you do with those grapes is what makes great wine. You can put a vine in the ground anywhere in Loudoun County and it'll make wine, but it don't, won't necessarily make fantastic wine. And so when Bob was searching for this piece of property in Bluemont, he was looking for exposure, he was looking for height, he was looking for the elevation, he was looking for the wind currents. I mean, so much went into like finding that perfect piece of property to put the grapes in the ground exactly where they needed to be so that they do make fantastic wine. So you didn't you didn't necessarily set out to say, okay, we only want to do single varietals. You've just found that you are most pleased with the wines uh, as they are in, in there. I think that was, a, that was a good start to it. But as we started to peel back and taste the wines and commune with them, we're like, you know, this is, this makes a big difference. I mean, more and more you see people talking about vineyard specific wines in Loudoun County and in mm -hmm. Virginia. And it, it's kind of a cool thing. And people do look for it. It's like they, they want to know, you know, where this came from. Did you make this wine from grapes you're growing? Yeah, they're geeking out on it. Yeah, they're geeking out. <laughs> That's what we call it. Because we do that too. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. After being in the industry for, you know, 15 years, you know so much about kind of the local land and the local local wine real estate. But let's clarify where October One Vineyards is. I think we got ahead of ourselves. We need to tell people very clearly where that is. Our site not being open to the public, it, it, like to, to give an address. Or it, wouldn't, it wouldn't do any good to give an address. But, you know, it, it is in Bluemont off of Foggy Bottom Road. You can see it from Bluemont Vineyard, yeah. especially when, the, when it's winter, when the leaves are off the trees. There's a clear view of it. You can see it from many places in, in Loudoun County. But if you follow Foggy Bottom Road past Bluemont, past, right. past the Red Grape uh, Gate, uh, horse farm, um, you're going up, up, and then you turn right and go up the mountain, and then you're at the, you're almost at the it, top. It's on the mountain, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, it's on the mountain, on the eastern slope of the Blue Ridge there, 
And then what, what is your uh, production? Well, we're producing um, about 600 cases of wine a year. You know, we, we utilize, you know, anywhere between 12 and 18% of our grape production for this label right now. I guess the question being, where, where does the other uh, percentage of that is going out to other local wineries? Yeah, other, other Loudon wine makers um, around the county. And that's one of the coolest things about this, too, just to, you know, get it in the hands of some of the great winemakers around here and see what they do with it and, and get to taste, um, you know, our, our, this vineyard October 1 through, through their wines and their expressions. Yeah, it's cool. For the most part, the Loudon wine industry, you know, we, we all kind of help each other and want to bolster the industry as a whole as opposed to competing against one another. Yeah, it's, it's at its core kind of a collaborative, you know, supportive group um, who's really trying to make some great things happen. And, you know, in a tough industry, farming you know, can be very difficult. And um, it definitely takes... Um, support from others, knowledge from others, resources from others, and you know, we all try to share share that. You know, sort of the knowledge base that lives here in Loudon is is fantastic. I mean, it's such a melting pot of people from all over the country and the world that are growing grapes and making wine in the county, and people share that info. Whether you know it's in, it's in a formal educational format or it's just like hey you're calling somebody in their advice and you get the like spectrum geeking out yeah, that's the geeking out yeah. part which is you know which is great and you know yeah and everyone's like yeah 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 just to help you just you making know? it happen i know i've had the uh viennier i've had cab franc what else are you guys doing doing now we're doing albarino which tends to be i think the most popular wine that we okay. sell um, that just had took off. It was a new varietal that people didn't necessarily know real well. And so every time they looked at that that name and they said, they, what is that? And you would explain that, you know, it's a Spanish varietal and this is what it tastes like. And you can vaguely compare it to these other varietals. Everyone's like, well, I want to try that. And then when they tried it, they're just like, this is just a, such an easy drinkable wine. And so we stopped selling El Barino, I thought. I think, don't we keep it all now? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we still, we still. We sell a little bit. Yeah, to we, yeah, we sell some. To um, but we almost had to keep all the fruit because we can't keep those bottles on the shelves and in the restaurants at all. People just want that wine. We also have Cab Sauv, um, and we have Merlot. Merlot, too. That's right. Cab Franc as well. Yeah. Our Merlot, I think, is one of the most interesting wines that we have one i think the site is meant to grow that particular mm -hmm. varietal it produces a merlot that isn't customary that what people are expecting of that that bridal you have to urge people to go outside their comfort zone and say it's probably not going to be what you expect from like a mass-produced california merlot it has typically has a lot more kind of character and and uh, unique nature i think well, guys, uh, thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, we will check in soon. Hopefully, hopefully, see you at the farmers market and get get uh, some some listeners out there and get people out to try your wines. Those who haven't already, I should say. All right, thanks.
The Ark of Loudon's renowned Haunted House fundraiser, Shocktober, will look a little different this Halloween, pivoting to a fully virtual experience. While guests won't have the opportunity to enjoy in-person thrills like most years, the Ark is offering an impressive variety of attractions and interactive activities to enjoy from the comfort of one's own home. I spoke with Ark CEO Lisa Kimball yesterday about what we can expect from this year's experience. Go ahead and give a quick rundown for those who may be unfamiliar what uh, Shocktober is and what its purpose is within the Ark of Loudoun. So the concept behind Shocktober is that for people that really enjoy being scared, fake blood, guts, gore, having characters jump out at them, Shocktober is a place to be. It is a, a haunted manor and the, the haunting is done by live actors who bring their A-game each and every time. So it really is very exciting. And it's incredibly crucial to the functioning of the Ark of Loudoun. So we're, we're really, really honored to be able to be on this campus where the, the Paxton Manor, Carlheim Manor is. It is this gorgeous, gorgeous setting for the haunted house. All of the money that we make is reinvested immediately back into the, the children, the clients, the families that we serve, people with disabilities and their loved ones and, and caregivers. So when we first thought about the possibility that we might not be able to do Shocktober, given the pandemic realities, that was really scary. In, in my opinion, that was even more scary than, than what happens in the haunted house. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it really came down to, okay, gosh, now what do we do? And the pivot to virtual was sort of natural for us, being that we had already pivoted all of our other programs to some type of virtual world where we were able to continue to serve people. So that's kind of how we wound up with all virtual shock for 2020. Yeah, well, the breadth of the uh, online offerings that's uh, going to be part of Shocktober this year, it's pretty impressive. So for one, you know, there's about 10 hours worth of Carlheim Manor virtual walkthroughs available for purchase. And what were the challenges of having to figure out that new method, particularly of doling out the scares that uh, keep people coming back year after year? Keeping everybody safe. Quite honestly, that was really the crux of what we needed to focus on in order to get this filming done. And, um, you know, you mentioned walkthroughs. I prefer to refer to them as scare-throughs because our celebrity guests were scared the whole entire <laughs> But yeah, the, the whole idea of having additional distance between each of the actors and then having that additional space between actors and guests and actors and the film crew, that was a real challenge. And it was a challenge that our creative team was more than equal to. I have to give a big shout out to Matt Smith, who is our haunt master. Gosh, he is just the, the king of all things creepy. It's <laughs> remarkable how quickly he can adapt and he can come up with new ways to scare. So, yeah, it was a question of finding ways that we could install plexiglass that would be between the actor that would be doing the scare and the guest and the, the film crew that would be coming through. And our creative crew, as well, our costume and makeup crew, unbelievable work that was done to make sure that each character, in addition to all of their typical gore makeup and any masks that may be associated with their characters, every character had a, a face covering as well. Most of them were under the other masks that they were wearing, or in some cases, that face covering was incorporated into the makeup. And it, it, it was really sort of 
gosh, mind-boggling to see how quickly that came together. Sounds like a really heightened level of care, and so that's really wonderful. Three of the walkthroughs, uh, as announced on your website, are going to be led by, as you mentioned, celebrity tour guides. Uh, the, the two that have been announced so far, you know, Nikki Blonsky, a lot of people know from uh, the movie Grease, and then uh, Nick Groff, famous ghost hunter. So there's a third celebrity guest who's uh, yet to be announced. Uh, any hints you're willing to drop as to who it is? Or Well, I, I will share. First of all, you'll be hearing more about that very soon. Second. Okay. It is a big local celebrity. This particular celebrity guest may not bring out so much excitement in international locations or, or even further away in the States, but local to Loudoun, this is a pretty neat celebrity. This was a big get, so to speak, to have the celebrity with us. And Nikki of, of Hairspray fame. Hairspray. I meant Hairspray, not Grease. I'm sorry. Hairspray. That's it. Yeah. Wonderful job. Great gal to work with. And uh, and she she really just put her all into it. And Nick Ruff, of course, Nick is, is, is one of those experts in the field in paranormal experiences and in haunted houses, haunted attractions as well. So having Nick with us was really very, very special because he comes at it with sort of a critical eye, you know, a, a different way of looking at things and maybe even a little bit jaded because he's very experienced. He's been here. He's done it. He's seen so many. And to see Nick's reactions and to hear how he was praising the, the, all of the volunteers after his scare through, that was really impressive. That was really a very special moment for everybody. I'm sure, like you said, he uh, he gets uh, you know the bejesus scared out of him for a living, and so you know it's I'm sure it's very gratifying when uh, when you catch him off guard. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, along with the live streams, uh, give us a little rundown of uh, some other special offerings included in Shocktober this year. What are other ways that customers can enjoy themselves and support the Ark during the event? There are some great offerings. I take credit for none of the ideas. Our, our incredible marketing crew, Denise Daffron, who's mm -hmm. our chief development officer, Mackenzie Walter, who is our events and marketing manager, just brilliant and able to come up with these ideas sort of from thin air. Absolutely gorgeous. So some of the things that we've added are things that we've talked about for years. For instance, we've had members of the public and even a number of our volunteers ask us for ages. Could you do dedicated classes on costumes, on makeup, on how to, to do the set design, how to really pull this together? And this year, that was one of the beauties that that virtual shock brought to us is that we're able to offer those classes. So there are a number of really great offerings that you'll find at shocktober.org. And in addition to the very directly haunt related classes like makeup and, and prosthetics and, and costumes, we were also working with some of our amazing community partners to bring in some great ideas for what you might want to do if you're going to be able to hold your own private, socially distanced, pandemically safe Halloween party. Things like different types of appetizers that you can bring to bear or some really fun cocktails. So those classes are all available to purchase at shocktober.org. 
We are also this year introducing the fear card and that card is a discount card working again with all of our, our community partners where um, it's similar to some of the cards that we've seen in the community for, for years where you, you purchase a card to support an organization and it's $10 off or 10% or off or a free drink or an appetizer, something along those lines. And, and what our marketing team has done and our development committee in conjunction with those community partners is to take that and really kind of put that on steroids and offer some really neat discounts and opportunities, activities that folks wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to be a part of without purchasing a fear card. And last but certainly not least, we are very well aware that there are lots of people that don't really like being scared, don't really like being a part of that shock experience but they know that they want to be able to support the ARC and we're so grateful for that. So we are also going to be kicking off a major friend raising campaign. That would be a fundraising campaign, very similar to what we see with other organizations where folks get the opportunity to kind of build their own page and, and solicit personal donations from friends and family and, and so on and so forth. So we're really coming about it from all angles. And, and the goal is what the goal of Shocktober always is, which is to bring in as much as possible for the ARC, again, to turn right back into services for our, our staff, our students, our clients, our families. We just need to find different ways to do it. So it, it'll be interesting to see too where this goes because it may very well be that virtual shock is such a hit that next year, once we're doing Shock Live again, please, next year, let's <laughs> do Shock Live again, we may also have our virtual offerings at the same time. Mm. That, it, it allows for much greater accessibility. Folks that maybe are not able to physically get through the house, if they're able to watch the, the videos, they get to take part that way. So kind of neat, all of these different options and offerings. Yeah, you're not kidding. That's like, I mean, there's something for everybody. And it sounds like there will be even more of something for everybody in following years. That's fantastic. I really wish y'all uh, well in this year's efforts. I really hope it's a success. And I hope that it uh, proves to enhance the success of uh, future events as well. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being such a strong supporter of the ARC. We appreciate you more than we can say. And we know that you're right there with, with us when we say we scare because we care. So thank you so much for being a part of that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for talking with me, Lisa. I appreciate it. Thanks. You can find more information about Shocktober at shocktober.org. And now your 60 seconds of cinema. Loud and movie lovers rejoice. The Middleburg Film Festival is finally here, though this year includes a mix of virtual and in-person screenings, panels, and attractions. Several of this year's established indie darlings are at the top of the festival's slate. Opening night film Nomadland, directed by Chloe Zhao, stars Frances McDormand as a woman who, after losing her job, travels the American West and becomes part of a thriving underground community of van dwellers living off the land. Centerpiece film Minari, starring The Walking Dead Steven Yun, follows a Korean family's move to start a farm in 1980s Arkansas. The festival's spotlight films include two feature directorial debuts, Ricky Staub's Concrete Cowboy and One Night in Miami, directed by Oscar-winning actress Regina King. 
The festival is scheduled for October 15th through 18th. For more details and ticketing info, visit middleburgfilm.org. Look for more film-related content and reviews at loudintimes.com. Now for six highlights from our October community calendar, as compiled by community editor Karen Graham. The Pumpkin Patch at Temple Hall Farm will be open in Leesburg until October 31st. There will be a $10 entry fee, and while there will be a playground, jumping pillows, and slides for the little ones to enjoy, there will also be plenty of room for physical distancing to be exhibited. The event will adhere to COVID-19 regulations throughout. Tickets will be sold at the door, and credit cards are preferred for minimized contact. The Waterford Fair will be running today through Sunday, October 4th. Tickets are available online. The fair will include an interactive virtual homes tour, musical performances, workshops for baking, soap making, and tea garden growing, and also be offering signature cocktail recipes. The Percival Tag Sale will be going on October 10th from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., rain or shine. This will act as a showcase for vendors and local businesses to offer their products to visitors. A number of food vendors will also be at Pickled and Roasted, which will be held at Celebrations Farm in Bluemont on October 11th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. This will be an autumnal open-air culinary experience featuring local chefs, farms, and VIP ambassadors. Each chef will get to select a local farmer to introduce to the foodie community. Tickets will range from $125 to $145 per person. I already touched on the Middleburg Film Festival a bit, but it bears repeating. It's taking place October 15th through 18th, and while it will be mostly virtual, some in-person components, including at least one drive-in screen, will take place at Salamander Resort and Spa. Some in-person events include tributes to actors, filmmakers, and special guests, and will also include a signature concert. Finally, Loudoun Museum's Hauntings Tours will take place October 16th and 17th from 6 to 9 p.m. These will be 60 to 75-minute walking tours through downtown Leesburg, in which tour guides will show off historic homes and businesses, relate local history, and tell ghostly tales. Masks will be required, and the tours will start at 25 West Market Street in Leesburg. For more information on each of these six highlights, visit the entertainment page at loudintimes.com. That's all for this episode. For more coverage of the stories presented in this episode, as well as other Loudoun County news, check out the links in the episode description and check in regularly at loudintimes.com. For the Go Loco podcast, I'm John Battiston. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.